is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 302 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening, August 22nd, and I am joined, as often, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Brad, it's good to be on with you. Uh, we've been doing these for years now. I don't know. We need our imaginary research assistant to help us with this, but Which is me. I don't know if, if you and I... <laughs> have ever done a podcast when the Braves have won nine in a row. I, I think our, our crack staff might, might be able to answer that, but off the top of my head, I, I cannot recall a run like this, especially kind of towards the end of the season when the team absolutely needed it. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, I don't know actually off the top of my head and uh, it, would, it would take some research time, but uh, at, at a minimum, the Braves did make some history this week uh, and winning nine games in a row speaks for itself. They've also won 16 of the last 18, which is uh, it's kind of funny after how many times you, me, and Eric all said on this podcast, all they have to do is go on one winning streak. Well, they've they've kind of done that and more during this run. But uh, this is the first time they've ever swept a three-city road trip since 1992. So uh, I was alive. You were barely alive, or maybe maybe you weren't alive. I was I was one years old. There you I go. Was still pooping in diapers, but yes, I was alive. So it's been a while. Um, and that's obviously sort of an abstract stat, but this is the one that's even more of a headliner. Uh, they've won 13 consecutive road games, including four sweeps. That is the franchise record for consecutive road wins. And it's also the longest streak on the road in baseball since 2017. So it's not just a uh, an Atlanta thing. This is a, uh, a streak that is now uh, growing beyond the walls of, uh, of the Braves clubhouse. Obviously... I'm not going to do this a lot. We have to caveat it just slightly with the schedule. The schedule was incredibly easy, as you pointed out a few weeks ago. But with that said, that doesn't mean you win every game. I mean, we joked about it last week on the podcast. All right, you know, go go five and one this week. We'll all feel, we'll all feel great. Okay, how about not? How, how about how about they win 11, 13 in a row on the road and uh, 16 and two in the last 18 games? So uh, schedule schedule, as they say. Uh, you have to go out and win the games. And the Orioles are absolutely brutal over the weekend. But hey, they beat them three times in a row. Hey, you're right. You got to win the games. I mean, we've seen as uh, the Phillies and the Mets have fallen back. Everybody thought the Phillies were going to have three easy games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have been probably the worst team or second worst team, <laughs> at least the worst in the National League. Your since your Euros. Diamondbacks, my Diamondbacks, big yes. fan here. Um, you know, you have to you have to win the game. To quote Herm Edwards, uh, you, you have to win the game, and. They didn't do it, and the Braves have. And we knew, it's funny, looking back on it, we were so focused, and with good reason, but we were so focused on the very difficult schedule coming out of the All-Star break. And it was. It was a, it was a very difficult schedule. Um, the Rays, the Brewers, the Phillies, the Mets, and we knew that was not necessarily going to make or break the year, but it was, of course, a very important, at the time, a very daunting schedule for the team. Um, but of course, then you, you look down the, the schedule a little bit more and you see this very winnable stretch of games. And, and as we noted, 16 out of the last 18 games have been victories. They have taken advantage of these bad teams. And hey, everyone plays the, the same schedule in the division at the end of the day. It just so happened that they had a really tough schedule where they treaded water and stayed at 500. And as we've talked, the Mets and the Phillies have failed to extend out their lead and now the Braves are taking advantage of a very soft schedule and good on them for winning 16 of 18. It'd be easy to go into Baltimore and say, well, this team is terrible. They've lost 15 games in a row. We, we can just take it easy and, and win a couple games here. 
Um, they're playing very, very well and have, have been able to squeak out a couple of wins as well in games where uh, they weren't of the blowout variety. And, hey, you can only win the game that's in front of you that day, and, and they have certainly done that as of late. Yeah, uh, to your point about the about the Diamondback series, it's a good thing to point out. I actually have in our notes, the way that I put it was that the Phillies were swept by the hapless Diamondbacks. Uh, and it's a great, like, it's actually like a perfect example. Like, we wouldn't necessarily need one as picturesque as that but in the same week that the Braves go into Baltimore and sweep them the Phillies do the exact opposite against basically the exact same team you know Arizona is probably better than Baltimore but if you're looking for a comparison with the Orioles this year it's maybe the Diamondbacks and uh, <laughs> yeah. the Phillies did the opposite thing and that's a six game swing man like it could have gone the opposite way obviously so yeah. it's really interesting through the prism of the division and uh, you know I wasn't actually going to start with results at the top of this podcast because Travis Darno signed a contract that we'll come back to later on, but when you win uh, every game this week and now nine in a row and 13 on the row on the road, you have to start there. So obviously the Braves, uh, we'll come back to this later on in the podcast, are in this fantastic position now. Um, things have flipped basically within about two and a half, three weeks from uh, a challenge to a dominating position in the in the East, which is just wild to see again. But, um, you know, we'll fly through the games at the beginning of the week. Obviously, um, the Daily Hammer, shouts to Sean Coleman, has been handling this stuff day-to-day on the podcast feed. But Waskari Noah returned on Tuesday. Looked pretty good against the Marlins in a win. Uh, Freddie Freeman hits for the cycle in his first four plate appearances <laughs> on Wednesday, which is now, like, buried because of they, they keep winning. But uh, that's, like, a, you know, always a, like, headliner event when Freddie does something like that or anybody does something like, something like that, and he did it again. Also... I heard this on Effectively Wild, I think it was. Um, there's like a nickname for the cycle plus a walk, which he also got. And it's, I can't remember what it was now, but Freddie also did that. So five for five. And uh, I guess we'll stop there. I mean, that was a celebratory event that I guess now was an afterthought, but that, that happened like four days ago. Yeah, it was good to see Freddie get going. Um, I think the most amazing part of this run that they're on is that Freddie Freeman has been pretty human over the last two weeks. And he had that respiratory infection that held him back for a bit and, just didn't look like himself, and he certainly was getting better as the week progressed. But that was, I think, the first time that Freddie was fully back. As you said, any time you, you have a cycle by the sixth inning is just absurd. Um, you know. And, and then on Waskari Noah, we know that when he's going right, he can be a dominant option. What has allowed the Braves to stay in the race and now separate a little bit is their pitching depth, and you talk about getting – Enoa and eventually Ian Anderson into the mix. Um, you know, that is invaluable, especially as we watch the Mets and the Phillies try to scrape together and, and find five starters every every week. Um, Enoa was impressive. It was against a, a pretty bad Marlins lineup, frankly. I think we'll have a, a better idea. His next two starts look like they will come probably against the Yankees and then I, I believe the Giants the following weekend unless they push him back. Um, those are far better lineups than the Marlins, but the stuff looked really good. He was throwing strikes, which has, of course, been a thing for him in the past. He was hitting the zone. All the breaking stuff was moving well. Um, so, yes, it was a it was a fun two games there in Miami. Um, and I, I think if my big takeaway was that if Enoa is back to where he was to begin the season, uh, that is a huge boost for a team that really has gotten pretty steady starting pitching over the last three or four months. Yeah, the pitching's been very good, almost to the point of being underrated because of what the offense has done, you know, very, very recently. Um, but I agree with you on the pitching overall. And I'll be honest, you know, uh, not that he, not that I was worried or anything like that, but I, I was at least somewhat skeptical because of the small sample size of early in the year. And then he goes down for so long that I wasn't just writing him in in pen 
in terms of the rotation. Like I knew he'd be in the rotation when he came back, but in terms of guys to count on and know that you're going to be awesome, I wasn't quite there. I'm still not quite there, but this is obviously a good step for him to show that he was back and, uh, like you said, a pretty bad offense, but still a team that um, could have hit him around and didn't. So that's a good sign, and the depth is suddenly uh, looking pretty strong in rotation because of Anderson coming back and all that stuff and the way that Morton's been pitching, etc. And uh, we'll get into this, uh, I guess, right now because Max Fried has not been – I would say incredible by Max Fried standards this year. Um, last year he was, of course, awesome and kind of carried them almost on his own for a couple months. Um, but Friday, man, he was uh, let's just say ludicrous is the way that I wrote down <laughs> in the uh, in the doc. Uh, nine innings, of course, a complete game shutout, four hits, no walks, only four Ks, but ninety pitches, which is uh, the Maddox, as the kids say. So. Um, by the way, his first career shutout of any kind, and this is the one that actually I was surprised by this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why it was, but this is the first Brave shutout since 2018, and it was Mike Fultonovich. So uh, mm. it's been a while since the Braves actually had a full blown nine inning complete game shutout. And Freed, uh, I know it was the Orioles, man, but he looked the part and was. Uh, it was good to see him just kind of go out there and actually just mow everybody down for nine innings. Yeah, that was as impressive as we have ever seen, Max. Um, when he's right, and you're right, he's he's overall his numbers are good, but he's been off a little bit at times this year. But man, he had it all working on Friday. Um, he is so so effective when he has that mid upper 90s fastball cooking in the zone, and then he can drop that big hammer of a hook. I mean, what are you supposed to do? He he made a uh, uh, a couple of Orioles hitters just go up there and struck him out or got him out on a couple pitches, and they were shaking their heads. That there was really nothing they could do, and we know how high of a ceiling Max has and um, just an outstanding start for him. 90 pitches. I don't care if it's against the Orioles or the Yankees or anybody in between. If you get 27 big league outs on 90 pitches, you you have the good stuff working. And um, it also gave the bullpen another night off, which is great. You had the off day Thursday, then Freed carries it all the way on Friday. Um, you know, bullpens wear down as seasons go on. And any time, especially piggybacked after uh, a day off on Thursday. Anytime you can give your your bullpen uh, a couple days off is huge. You want to keep those guys healthy and fresh, um, especially as as postseason nears. Um, so just an outstanding effort by Max, and he really had it all working, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely, and obviously Braves fans will be hoping that he can find his form from last year, and if this is a sign of that, then it's obviously a fantastic thing for both Freed and Atlanta overall. Uh, I'll take the second now to pick on the Orioles just for a second because there's some wild stats with Baltimore, and this is not an Orioles podcast, but I, I just can't help myself. Uh, Friday's game, which was the Max Freed 3-0 victory for the Braves, uh, was the 16th straight loss for the Orioles. Uh, it became 18 with the two more losses, but the first 16 losses were all by multiple runs. The second longest streak of that, of that, of that fashion in Major League Baseball history. Uh, that is impossible to me that you would lose... Yeah. 16 straight games by by uh, more than one run, and obviously Baltimore is terrible, but that's like, I can't explain how hard that is to do. Like, you have to be that is. so very bad Math- to lose that that much and by that many. Yeah, mathematically, that's hard to do. Like, just based on the the weird nature of baseball. Well, a, that, a lot of games fall one run in baseball. That's just kind of the nature of baseball. It's a, it's a coin flip kind of game in a lot of ways. And, a, you know, throughout the course of a season, teams can play 30, 40 one-run games or more. And to not even have not even have one of those along the way, much less a win. Yeah. I mean, they finally broke it. I, I guess fittingly, they broke it on Saturday with a one-run loss. So they finally 
uh, broke that part of the streak while still having the win st- the, the losing streak, I should say, intact because they still have not won. They've they've owned their last eighteen. But man, uh, I was blown away by that, so I had I had to share. Yeah, they're a team that, I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of those really dark Braves rebuild days, like the oh, second but, half. But worse. <laughs> yes, right. Like things. <laughs> It never got quite to that point. No. Like even at the worst moments of the Braves, they still had Freddie Freeman. Julio Tehran had a couple nice years in there. Shelby Miller had his great year in there. Like, like there were at least positives, and I think you could see at least the the loose framework of what it was going to be. And I know Baltimore has gotten a little bit better in recent years at developing, and, and they have a couple young pieces, but, man, that they are a bad baseball team. Uh, trivia time, Scott. Uh, what was the fewest wins that the Braves had during their uh, 2010s rebuild? Uh, do you know this off the top of your head? Because I have the uh, answer. I don't think they ever lost 100 games. I'm going to say like 67 and 95. You nailed that to to the win. That was exactly correct. Oh, wow. Um, and, the, and the reason I ask you that, and by the way, that was back-to-back years. 2015, they won 67 games. 2016, 68 games. So that, that was the... That was the apex of the rebuild, we could say. Um, to that end, Baltimore is currently on pace to win 50 baseball games this year. Yeah, so, that, that, even that might be a challenge. Like, they have, like, one and a half good players in their lineup right now. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> obviously playing worse than that at the moment because they've, they've lost 18 in a row. Uh, they've also allowed 719 runs this season, and the next closest team is in the 600 somewhere, and it's Arizona. So, all that to say, uh, they are a, a d- different level of bad, and I just had to put that out. <laughs> thank, thank God the Braves took advantage of that. If if you read off all those stats, and then we had to say, and then they lost on yeah, Saturday. but they or lost Saturday Sunday. and Sunday. No, exactly. Yeah, that, was, that would have been like, on brand uh, in some ways, but yeah. it didn't happen. Uh, I'll, I'll stop here just to point this out, too, because uh, because of the rebound of, uh, I believe, the Phillies won Saturday and Sunday. Oh no, they won one. They won Sunday. The Mets won. Anyway, it's not as it's not as bad as, as this was. But at one point uh, after Friday, this is a crazy stat. So the Braves were four back in the East on the morning of August second. That's twenty days from now. Right now, they were four games back. They were, they took a five game lead in the National League East on August twentieth. So they flipped nine games in the division in eighteen days. Uh, that's, that's insane. I mean, (laughs) and not only did they do it, but they did that without going head to head against either of those teams. That's a good point. That's the craziest part. Like if they had six of those games over the last three weeks or whatever against the Mets or against the Phillies, or if they had four series, you know, mixed in there, I, I could, I think it would be a little less crazy, but yes, I mean, to, to flip the table like that in three weeks is is nuts. Like, that doesn't really happen in baseball. No. I mean, and because it was two teams. You know, the Mets have really, really, really faded. But it wasn't like it was a, a one versus one either. You, you kind of needed two teams to kind of bottom out, and you had to get red hot at the same time. And that all happened. Yeah. So this, there's a lot, a lot of season left. Nothing is over, as we'll get into later on. But that nine-game switch in less than three weeks is um, not unprecedented, but certainly uh, very, very, very impressive. Um, the rest of the weekend... Not, you know, I, I, we'll definitely get into some of this stuff, but uh, Saturday was a 5-4 win, kind of work, workmanlike in a lot of ways. The Orioles hit four solo home runs, uh, three off Drew Smiley, and then one off old friend Will Smith, who we continue to defend on this podcast. Shouts to Will Smith. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm, losing, I'm losing faith. In I know, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking at this point. Uh, 
he was a little better today. There was a double to lead off the uh, lead, off, lead off the ninth, and then he held on and didn't give up anything. But um, yeah, it was pretty pretty funny that they were able to win and Smith gave up the home run because I could kind of just toil in it and lean into the bed a little bit more. Uh, as if, you, if, if anyone misses last week, Scott and I's position, at least mine position was last week that Will Smith is not Craig Kimbrell, but he's not like the worst pitcher of all time, uh, and that's kind of our our only thing. Like we, we'd be fine if he gave up some ninth inning appearances, but alas. Um, so they hold on there, and by the way, Austin Riley, who we talked about a lot last week, continues to just absolutely rake. I think he leads yeah. the, I think he leads the National League total bases now, something like that. I saw that, I saw that come across wow. today. Uh, if not, if he's not there, he's in the uh, in the top two or three total bases this year. But um, the combination of him being healthy and in lineup every day, plus just awesome now for three months, is uh, that'll that'll do it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and it's amazing too the way that Riley has done it. Like he hits for power. But he also, I think he's flirting with a 300 batting average, which I don't think anyone had Austin pegged for that when he was Ooh, developing. I no. mean, even a bullish, someone who was very high on Austin, you know, probably thought more of, I mean, like the Troy Gloss comparison was always made. A guy who hits 270 or so and the 30 home run thing was always very attainable. And it looks like he's going to breeze past that. But man, um, you know, hitting 300, getting on base at a high clip. He's not striking out a ton either, which is very impressive. Um, he has a good command of the strike zone for a guy uh, his age and someone who doesn't have a ton of time at the big league level. Uh, yeah, Austin has been incredible, and him batting behind Freddie, it just opens up so many more possibilities for this lineup, knowing that you can't just work around Freddie, because if you do, you're going to run into him and then Dansby, who had another nice week as well. Um, there's just there's really no easy outs in this order right now until you get to the very bottom, depending on who's in there. And and uh, yeah, Austin's been incredible. Uh, I, I found these stats just just now as we were talking, so I have to throw them at you. And this is a I think a good indication of how the Braves have done what they've done, and that is uh, with these with these handful of gentlemen I'm about to refer to. Uh, the total base leaderboard that I just mentioned. This is going into today, so it's not updated on Baseball Reference. Uh, number one in the National League, Austin Riley. Number two, Freddie Freeman. Number four, Ozzy Albies. And tied for sixth, Dansby Swanson. So, uh, oh. also, and this is the other part of this, is that I was talking about just health, and obviously those guys have all been good, but the health too, because the Braves have four of the top eight guys in the National League in plate appearances. And it's those mm. four guys. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be, uh, I sure hope that as the next six weeks progress, like it's, it's obviously hard to give any of those guys a night off just the way they're going. Um, and, and because there are some built in off days coming up here, maybe it's not as important, but it would be nice to give those guys an occasional breather, make sure they're fresh. It was, I think it was the 2019 team that had to go all out to, to get into the playoffs as they wanted to. And they were just a little burned out by the end of the year. That was the Cardinal series. And I know Freddie was hurt and, uh, but you just tell the team was a little worn down and you hope that this year, if they are able to finish this out and get there, um, they, they, they have a little bit of something left in the tank. Um, but no, I mean, to your point, that is incredible. I didn't realize I knew that I figured that Freddie, um, Freddie and Ozzy would be up there, but especially the way uh, that I have to add one more thing uh, yep. before we move on from this. Uh, I looked at the games play leaderboard just now at baseball reference. Hmm. Um, number one by himself in the National League. Dansby Swanson at 123. Uh, that is that is every game. I think he played today as well, so that's every game this season. Um, Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman are tied for second at 122, and Ozzy Albies is uh, in fourth. So, 
Uh, those four guys have played every single blessed day and have been good, and that really helps your lineup when when your yes. four guys who play every day have all been good. Well, and hopefully now that they're in this position where they have a pretty decent lead in the division, I think it's the third biggest division lead of all the six divisions. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> you you certainly hope that they stay healthy and productive. But again, if, if there's an opportunity to give a guy a day off here or there, it wouldn't be the worst thing, but... As we'll look ahead, they do have a fair number of days off over these final six weeks. So you just want to keep those guys fresh. And, hey, you and I aren't filling out that lineup every day. And it'd be real hard right now to say, all right, Austin, you're getting today off. Or, all right, Ozzy, you're, you know, the yeah, team is, I, has not... one loss since they've since they've uh, moved into leadoff or whatever it is. Like, I, I get it. So I it, but that is an outstanding stat. I'm glad you brought it up. Those four, especially uh, the way that Dansby and uh and and austin have made up ground over these last few weeks is really impressive well and you know you and i have been um i'm not sure if critical is the word or at least questioning of snicker not giving guys days off but um in his defense recently you just kind of mentioned it obviously these guys are red hot and also the schedule has been pretty light lately in terms of having having off days you know they had an off day this week they have two this coming week uh, and when that happens, it's easier to not criticize um, guys playing every day because they're in a groove and there is built-in time off. If, if they were in the middle of a 22-game and 22-day stretch, I might uh, raise a flag a little bit on this, but they're not. I mean, they're in the middle of this stretch where they have some time to breathe. And uh, to your point, it's very hard to pull out Austin Riley from the lineup card right now when he's uh, out of his mm -hmm. mind. So yeah. I totally get it. Uh, before we get to everything else from, uh, I guess, future-facing stuff, Wrapping up this week a little bit, um, the pitching staff is where I wanted to shed some light here. Not not crazy deep, but they allowed five runs in the whole series against Baltimore, and that's three games. So you know, they, they scored a bunch of runs, too, uh, earlier in the week especially, but they didn't just, like, murder the ball over the weekend, and they still swept the series because the pitching staff was awesome. So we've we shot them out a few times. In particular, the bullpen, though, has been really, really good. This is a Stephen Tolbert stat. Shouts to Stephen, who's on our staff at TC. Um 33 innings this month combined in August from Madsik, Jackson, Martin, and Rodriguez. They all, and they've allowed four total earned runs in 33 innings. Wow. So that's like, you know, a, a little bit over a one ERA. And Tyler Madsik, by the way, alone, there's also a good piece up on TC this week. I believe it's from like Tuesday or Wednesday um, that I've, I've up, actually updated now. But he's allowed two runs in his last 30 appearances. His ERA is way under one for like two and a half months now. So for after the slow start for Matzik and some of the questions about you know maybe him regressing, he has not regressed. He's been absolutely lights out. So that's, that's only one part of it. We get to the rotation too. We'll save some of that for later on. But I just want to say you know the pitching staff has been uh, I think underreported how good it's been. I think everyone kind of knows it because they've been winning it so much. But a lot of focus has been on Riley and Swanson as it should have been. But the pitching staff's been awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's hard to imagine them being where they're at if the bullpen hasn't been so effective. And I think it's easy to remember. And uh, there, Hey, there are a lot of games in April and May and June that the bullpen just completely let get away. I mean, it seems like every week you and I would do one of these and we'd talk about one or two of the losses being a game that frankly should have been won, and the bullpen let get away. Um, I think that's, that's hard to, to get past sometimes, but Hey, um, if you want to talk about a team finding its groove at the right time in a year, yeah, you know, again, I'm not saying this team is going to go on to win the World Series as the Nationals did two years ago, um, but the Nationals found their groove when they needed to find their groove, and they of course rode it on their magical ride to the championship. Um, you want to have a team that's that's hitting its stride 
now versus maybe finding it in April and May and then teetering off, as we've seen with the Mets and even the Phillies to that extent. The Padres come to mind, too. Um, you know, this team is really clicking in all three aspects right now. And the bullpen, uh, I agree, it's been underrated with with how good they've been. And the addition of Rich Rodriguez has been so, so good. It's extended out the bullpen. And, yeah, man, Tyler Matzik, that's a bad dude. Like, he... I, I mean, I guess if you're a righty, maybe you could see him a little bit. But if you're a lefty, um, he had a bat against Cedric, uh, Cedric Mullins, who leads the American League in hits this weekend. And Matzik just, I mean, he embarrassed him. He shut him down on three pitches. Mullins had no chance. Like, literally, I think Matzik could have told him what was coming and he wouldn't have had a chance. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah th- that whole group has been really good. Luke Jackson struck out the side in the eighth inning today. Um it's been a really, really good group, and honestly, I think some of that's also overlooked just because of the inconsistencies that Will Smith has had in the ninth. But that that middle and late relief group has been outstanding these last few weeks. I forget who had this, and we'll move on. But I forget who had this on Twitter today. But the I think the bullpen ERA in August, if you took out Josh Tomlin, is like two point two or something like that. But Tomlin's been so bad that it looks like I mean they're still like in the top seven or eight in the majors in bullpen ERA. But Tomlin's been so bad that he like just completely kills the numbers <laughs> in August. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those so and uh, pull out Josh Tomlin and like Nate Jones, who had an ERA of like fifteen in the month of April when they kept throwing him out there. Um, yeah, yeah, the the active the uh, we'll call it the top six bullpen ERA is just really really good right now. They have been quite good. Um, all right, that's enough of that for now. Let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll come back talk about Travis Darno and other stuff uh, as we look ahead to the rest of the week. So stay tuned. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, let us discuss what was going to be the headliner. I mean, there's a lot of headliners this week between the winning streak and the Max Free performance and Freddie's cycle and everything else. But uh, Travis Darnot signed an extension. And honestly, if I had been more available that night, when I had an emergency podcast, but I believe really wasn't uh, available to record, but so we'll do it now. It's two years. It's $16 million for Darnot to stick around through the 2023 season with a club option for $8 million for 2024. And uh, what struck me immediately was that this is the exact same contract that he already signed. His first deal with the Braves was two for 16, and the extension is two for 16. So apparently all sides think that he's an $8 million player, uh, <laughs> which is just totally fine. And uh, before we get into some, uh, some analysis of this, the club option has no buyout, which means it's good business for the Braves to get it. Um, if he is still good at that point in time, you pick it up. If he's not good, 
you don't pick it up and there's no penalty. So that's uh, that's definitely a team-friendly uh, option on the end of this. And he'll be 35 by then, so I'd say there's a decent chance that he's kind of maybe not done by then. But 35-year-old catchers, they're not uh, they're not uh, always great. So some risk there, but the risk goes away entirely when it's a team option. So that's very, yeah. very helpful. Uh, what was your thought when you saw this? Obviously, he was awesome last year. He's kind of been out of out of commission this year for the most part. But I kind of liked it. So what did you think about it? Oh, I, I love it. I, I don't think there's any downside at all. As we have seen over these last few months without Darno, the baseline for catcher is so low. And you need good, consistent, steady play behind the plate. Um, and, you know, Darneau was a guy who was a little bit of a late bloomer. And there were some questions last year, of course, was, was his mini breakout with the Rays legitimate? And over the two month season last year, he was out of his mind and, uh, you know, who knows what he's going to be able to do over a full season, but he looked good. I mean, he's looked good since he came back from the injured list, missing half of the year. Um, and at that price, man, like $8 million is, is nothing. Um, he does have a little bit of an injury history uh, just coming back. That was always what held him back. And he, I mean, it's worth noting he did miss time. Catcher's a very physically demanding position, but it, it just makes all the sense in the world to get Travis. He is very well liked by the pitching staff and in the clubhouse, which is, of course, has been a point of emphasis for the front office in recent years. Um, for $8 million, you keep him in the fold. We know how good he can be. Um, he's still, you know, fairly young now, as you said, we'll, we'll see where he's at in a couple of years time. Um, it also really just fits in nicely with the Braves' timeline. Um, we'll talk about William Contreras and Shea Langoliers here, but it doesn't force you to do something with those guys that you don't necessarily want to do. Uh, you, you're allowed to be a little more patient with those two because you know that you can count on Darno at, at the big league level. And um, I know there was some talk and it's the, it's the immediate reaction of, well, what does this mean for Langoliers? And what about Contreras? Where's where's he going to play? Um, there is no such thing as too many good players. Like like it is impossible for a big league team to have too many good players. We'll see what the future holds. There's going to be a DH more than likely next year as well, which which can benefit catchers if you want to keep the bat in the lineup but give them a day off behind the plate. Um, and as we've seen, too, over these last few years, given the extreme heat and physical demands uh, that catcher brings playing in Atlanta, um, I think it's clear that the Braves do not want to rely on one catcher to catch 150 games a year. Um, Darno fits. And then you talk about using Contreras or bringing in someone else. You can utilize Contreras or Langoliers in a trade if that opportunity presents itself. So for all of those reasons, this felt like a no-brainer to me. Very little downside, if any. Um, and again, if you get a season close to what Travis did last year, um, you're golden at $8 million a year. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with with all of that. You know, last year, we kind of, we said this a lot over the winter. You can't expect him to do what he did last year. It was, a, it was a short season. He was incredible, honestly. Had a OPS over 900, um, a 144 WRC+. Plus. Like, I don't think he, I don't think he's that guy. But he is, when healthy, an above-average starting catcher, which is all you need him to be at $8 million. And you said it, but the Braves have kind of gone with this dual catching thing for a long time now. That seems to be an organizational philosophy that they don't want necessarily to have uh, a, a legitimate one and a, and a number two. Like, obviously, if Langoliers or something blows up into Buster Posey, then maybe that, maybe that changes. But they've been, they've been totally fine in having um, kind of a split. Even if it's a... 
60-40 split towards one guy like it is right now with Darno being clearly the better option, they're not going to play that guy five every six days. They're just not going to do that. Um, it hasn't seemed like they want to. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this year has not been fantastic in a small sample size, but I think I still believe that he's a good player when he's healthy. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I, I understand the natural inclination to raise your eyebrows if you're a big Shailene Lears fan or if you're a big William Contreras fan. But at catcher, um, this is not like first base where like a guy's going to just be out there. Like if the Braves have a backup first baseman and you have Fred Freeman on the team, like, yeah, that guy's blocked. But the catcher, you're not really as blocked as you would be elsewhere. And um, those guys are not proven at this point in time. You, you said it. You could you could trade one of those guys. You could play. I know there's a couple people that think that Contreras might be an outfielder long term because of his defense not being incredible. Langoliers is obviously known for his defense in a lot of ways. But um, the DH, as you mentioned, is open. I generally don't think that you want to DH a catcher all that often, but it's a good spot to put him. Like, yeah. Darno, yeah. for instance, becomes a pretty average, pretty ordinary guy if he's not catching. You know what I mean? Like, last year, obviously, this is a little bit different, but his normal baseline, that's not a great DH to have. But if it's once a week to get him in a lineup, sure. that's totally fine. So that flexibility, if it happens... And uh, at some point we'll do the Ozuna thing. Not today. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, that podcast. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, 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 dra- no, no, I'm draining no. that. But I think I think we basically agree that this is like, it's kind of, it's kind of good. There's not a whole lot of downside, and there is some flexibility on all counts. Well, and if all of a sudden Shailene Gleers spends next year in the minors and just blows up, and he's like a consensus top five prospect across the league, there's nothing saying that you you probably could trade Travis Darno. I mean, at eight million dollars, you're telling me that one of the 29 other teams wouldn't be interested in some capacity. Like, you know, you're not signing him to a six-year deal. This is not a big deal in terms of dollars or years. We know what catcher is like, and hey, um, he does really good work. He also, I know, uh, I think it was Mark Bowman who noted that Travis's work before games with the pitching staff is also very good and very appreciated by those guys, especially with a staff that that has some youth and experience at times. yeah, I mean, why not? Travis is clearly happy here, and, and there's a good partnership. Um, these things will sort themselves out. If the Braves have uh, two all-star catchers at the age of 24 with Contreras and Langoliers in a year or two, <laughs> I promise you it will not be a problem. It will. It seems it will unlikely to out. me also. Like, I yes. know, even if you like those guys a lot, uh, the chances that both of them, like, exceedingly pop are not likely. And the thing is... If one of them does, and I think recently, I might be wrong on this, but the prospect guy seems to be leaning towards Langleyers as the better prospect. Let's just let's just say he blows up, uh, because he'll be making no money this entire time as Darno is making eight million dollars. It's totally fine to have Travis Darno making eight million dollars as your number two catcher um, if their starting catcher is making like. 600 grand. Mm. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Like, yeah. you're not spending at the position in a crack. They're not going to go sign a, a big dollar catcher. But if one of the young guys pops, like, that guy's making no money. So even if you look through the prism of um, an artificial cap on money that Liberty Media is assessing, like, it doesn't matter because the other option is going to be cheap. And $8 million is not that much money. I know the Braves have gotten great production on cheap contracts with Flowers and Suzuki, etc., but... Eight million for a guy, even if he's your fifty-fifty split catcher, that's totally yeah. fine. It just—it's not—that's not a lot of money, and it's good security, and everybody likes the guy. And yeah, I, I have a hard time with anyone that would criticize this. I mean, the worries—if you want to say that there are worries—are not really worries, which you did a good job of laying out. Like, 
oh darn, we have to trade him now for value. Like, okay, I mean, that's <laughs> right. fine. Uh, yeah. So, oh yeah. no, we have to trade our our young cheap catcher for an you know an ace pitcher with three years of control. Well, yeah, and like, I I, th- I think it's more likely that one of the prospects gets, gets traded. I mean, we would say that forever. And and Thop was still now. I mean, we we've I know you praised him. I know, I, I I found that I found that tweet, Scott, where you legitimately praised Alex Anthopoulos on, on on Twitter today. Um, but I, I'm kidding about that. But he's still not traded a single top prospect. <laughs> Yep, uh, and maybe, maybe they will a catcher at some point. Maybe they'll have, maybe they'll trade Contreras or Langoliers, or maybe Contreras will play outfield. But yeah, there's a lot of options. And if they give them fifteen million dollars a year, then sure, be a little bit worried about it. But eight million dollars, like I don't have any concerns. It's fine. No, no. When I saw it come through, I was I was immediately happy. I still am. Just thinking about it a few days later, um, there's very little downside here, and and we know what Travis can do. So. It, it's a good partnership, and, and congrats to Travis. He was away. If, if you somehow missed, he uh, was away. He homered on Friday night and then left. He's on the paternity list to welcome a child. Um, so, you know, hey, that's that's not a bad 24 hours. You sign for $16 million and then have a baby. That That's not a bad weekend. Yeah, and also, last thing here, but uh, on, on the player side, which we sometimes ignore, like Darno gets some security. I mean, this is a guy who's made some money in his career, but until he got to until he got to Atlanta, he had been making you know three million dollars a year, two million dollars a year. I'm looking at this now. Um, you know, he, gu- guaranteeing another sixteen million dollars uh, is like not a small thing for Travis Darno. So yeah, it's no, I mean, it's a good point. It's a, it sets it's, him and his family up for many many years. Yeah, yeah. Even, even if that's a ends up being a below market extension. Um, it won't be by a ton. Like I can't see a scenario where he would have gotten, you know, twenty million a year on the on the open market. Here, this is not like Albies or Acuna where they're like signing this crazy contract. But I think it's a good value for the Braves. I think it gives him security, and uh, it's not sort of those sweet spot deals that kind of came out of nowhere. But I think it does make sense for all sides. Um, all right, let's get to the, to the sort of look ahead now before we get out of here. Um, projection wise, at this moment in time, the Braves are five up on the Phillies. Seven up on the Mets, um, as of both those teams won today. 538, which updates in real time, has the Braves with an 86% chance to make the playoffs and an 84% chance to win the division. For reference, uh, 538 posts these uh, sort of historical ones like every week or two. Uh, on June 20th, which is basically two months ago to the, to the day, it was 19% playoff odds and 14% division odds. So a lot's wow. changed and in two was, months. That was when they still had Ronald Acuna. Uh, oh, that's crazy. Yes, famously, um, their numbers were already brutal, and then they lost Ronnie, and, every, and everyone started asking because I, I do that thread every, you know, every every few days, and people are like, "This is this is include Acuna," and I'm like, "I don't know. They don't tell you what the formula is on this stuff." Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, regardless, that's your it's, it's a good point. They still had Ronnie, and uh, the numbers were that low, so a heck of a turnaround. Um, you know, the Mets are not playing well. Uh, their owner tweeted. A few times oh, this week. That was funny to watch. Has to take, someone has to take that account away from Steve. He's uh, going to Old Steve is a billionaire, and he can he can just pop off if he wants to. Uh, Jacob deGrom, like, we're not rooting for him to be injured by any means, but he's out for another month at least. He's on 60-day IL at this point in time. So he's their best, he's their best player, best pitcher, was absolutely dominant before he, got down, before he went down. So that's unfortunate for them, but obviously it matters in the calculus. Um, the Mets, I'm not saying I'm writing them off, but uh, they seem like – almost DOA. They're not, they're not playing well, let's just say. Um, And if you watch the Mets right now, their body language is terrible. Like I can only imagine you never want to read too much into body language in professional sports, but 
um, there was a clip of of JD Davis just airmailed the throw, and he was he was pissed that Alonzo didn't catch the ball, even though it was like 15 feet from first base. Um, it, you can just kind of tell when you watch these guys, things are not going well. It's been a very frustrating last month for the Mets. Uh, they did win today over the Dodgers, so maybe that'll help them out a little bit. But um, you're right; it, it is not over with them. But even then, their schedule remains very difficult. I think. Ultimately, I think this race is going to come down to the Braves and the Phillies. Yeah, speaking of schedules, um, this is from Tankathon, and it's only strength of schedule by winning percentage, so there's a little bit of nuance in here. Um, something something to point out here is that Philadelphia, uh, who's not playing well either, they're playing better than the Mets, but that's a low bar. Um, they have the easiest remaining schedule in all of Major League Baseball, and it's kind of by a lot. So that's worth noting. Um, does that make Does that make them dangerous? I don't know. But it is worth pointing out that their schedule is Cupcake City the rest of the season. Now, the Braves still have a five-game lead on them, and the Braves' schedule is like middle of the pack. Uh, they actually have the 12th most difficult schedule, so nothing crazy, but nothing super easy. You know, their super easy part was this week, frankly. Um, a week ago, the Braves had were in the, were the top 10 easiest schedules, and then they, they just played Baltimore, and that's what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Philly still has Baltimore and Arizona. Now, they just got swept by Arizona which is worth pointing out too. (laughs) But they have some pretty easy matchups on the agenda. So um, that might just remind you a little bit of um, it's not over at this point in time. And you said this before we start recording. I'll let you talk about it now. But the Braves are in the wild card mix if they they have to be. Like if somebody goes crazy, the Braves can maybe fall back on the wild card race because, you know, two months ago we were kind of saying, look, wild card's not going to happen because the Padres are really good and so are the Dodgers. And the Padres aren't very good right now. So door's open. Yeah, the Padres fell off a cliff. I mean, they lost two out of three this weekend to the Phillies. Would have been nice for them to do a little bit better and help the Braves out. But you're right. I mean, really, that second wild card spot is pretty wide open, and there are the very obvious reasons to try and win a division. Um, if currently, as as we record, the Dodgers are the top wild card team, I don't think anybody wants to go out to L.A. for a one-game playoff series with them. Strange things can happen, but hey, if you can – if you can lock in that division title this year and, and play a good Brewers team, but not one that is unbeatable by any means, that that's obviously the path. But yes, I, I think it's it's interesting. There's only three games left between the Braves and the Phillies and then uh, the Braves and the Mets. And that's that final week of the year. Um, so that it, it's kind of the the good and the bad, right? Like it's, it's going to be difficult to put the Phillies away because the schedule is so easy. And you're only seeing them one time over these final six weeks. Um, but at the same time, as as we've seen, you have to win these games. And the Phillies are not playing very well. Even when the Phillies had their, they had an eight-game win streak a, a while back. Even then, they, they weren't playing very well. And ever since they've kind of fallen off, their run differential is really bad still. Um, it's not a bad team by any means. Bryce Harper's been really, really good. And they just got Reese Hoskins off the injured list. But Ultimately, I do think this is a two-team race because the Mets' schedule coming up is still just brutal for them. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll see if, if the Phillies can take advantage of this, the soft slate. But five games is, is a pretty decent lead. We, of course, know that these things can get away from you in a hurry. We've watched over the last <laughs> we, few weeks we how, quickly, yes. uh, how quickly a, a decent division lead can go away. Um, but again, it's, it's just going to be a matter of, of – trying to navigate these next few weeks because the schedule is much more difficult for the Braves. Um, but having that built-in five-game cushion really is a nice see this time of year. 
clearly, and you'd like it to just be over by that final week of the season. You know, now that you're in this position, it's obviously getting greedy here. But you, what you want to do is be up seven games when you go to when you host Philadelphia on, on September 28th. If you if you you'd like that to just be over at that point in time, um, with Phillies and Mets down the stretch. But obviously, that isn't like a lock by any means. And it's kind of crazy to me how stark this is. I don't know if you noticed this on the schedule or not. The Braves had a really tough schedule the next like week and a half, which we'll get into in a second. Then it goes back to Cupcake City for a while. Um, it's Yankees, Giants, Dodgers in a row. That's about as hard as it gets. But then it's Colorado, Washington, Miami, Colorado again. So like, it's basically either super hard or super easy for the Braves until the last week of the season. And then it's like kind of in the middle with Philly and New York. But you know, they, they play Arizona still. They play Colorado twice, Miami again. Washington's kind of packed it in. All that stuff. So it's just interesting. And that kind of points to how big these next eight games are. I know we usually talk about this like in a week at a time, and we'll do that. But they play the Yankees twice, Giants three times, Dodgers three times. That's really hard, man. Uh, And no one's going to tell you that the Braves aren't equipped for this. They just won nine in a row and all that stuff. But um, this is going to be interesting. It's a good measuring stick. Um, This is a bizarre week of scheduling, which we'll get into in a second. But I I wonder if that makes sense to you, like – it's kind of just like survive these next eight because from there, and we don't, we don't want to overstate the schedule importance because it's still baseball and weird stuff happens, but it does open up a lot in about in about, a, about a week and a half. Yep. No, I think honestly this next week and a half is going to be a good measuring stick for where this team is. Um, you're talking about uh, the Yankees are just as hot as the Braves. I think they actually have somehow even have a better record than Atlanta does in the month of August by a game or two, which is just nuts. The Yankees are finally clicking. Uh, We know how good and how talented the Dodgers are. And while we haven't gotten to see the Giants yet, um, they're just a sneaky good baseball team. Uh, We'll see if that's able to carry over into October as they get there. But um, it's going to be a good measuring stick. I think it's an opportunity to see how this team performs. Um, Hey, as we've said, you have to beat the bad teams, and and the Braves have done that. But now the, the competition goes up dramatically anytime you travel out west which they're going to do twice is is always a little bit of a concern uh funny enough funny enough the colorado rockies have one of the most insane home and road splits that you will ever see yes um at home they're one of the best teams in the league but on the road their record i don't have it in front of me but they are like historically bad away from coors field um, so you're going to get to see a little bit of them. You do have four games in cores, which can be weird, can mess up your pitching staff if you have a couple of long days. But um, I, I'm looking forward to these next week and a half. I know there's the, the competition certainly goes up. And, and, hey, if we could keep beating up on these cupcakes, it would be great. But they should be some really good games. The Braves will miss Garrett Cole, which is nice. Uh, he pitched this weekend. He won't have to see him. I believe it's uh, they're going to see um, Andrew Heaney or Haney, however you say his name, and then Montgomery as well, who are two lefties. They're going to continue to see left-handed pitching. Um, and then two off days in the middle of the week, which is very, very <laughs> odd. Yeah, uh, all that, what you just said uh, uh, on the Rocky side, by the way, they're 43-22 and 22 at home, which I believe is like the second or third best record in the National League at home. Um, and then they're 14-45 and 45 on the road. Oh, just, just an impossibly 14. big split. Like, you can't be... They're wow. basically... A hundred plus win team at home and the Orioles on the road, like that. That's how that's how big the split is. It's just that's insane. Um, that's, so they have fourteen road wins all year. Correct. The Braves have thirteen consecutive road wins yes. right now. That yes. is uh, that is all accurate. Um, that's crazy. 
Yeah, so the Yankees, to your point earlier about how, how hot they are, they've won nine in a row like the Braves have. They're also 19-4 and four in their last 23. So they are scalding. They're a very, very good baseball team. Giants, same thing. Dodgers are obviously loaded and have, I believe, the number one run differential in the league. Uh, the Dodgers do. Yeah, despite the, despite being a wild card team, the Dodgers are plus 204 this season. Uh, oh, the Dodgers. Good Lord. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, some tough sledding coming up here. Your point about the two days off in a row, this is weird. I, I heard this. I am not sure if it's 100% confirmed, but I heard it enough to where I'm going to say it on the podcast. Um, the two days off in a row thing is very weird. So they have Wednesday and Thursday off in a row. That never happens. I can't remember a time that's ever happened without some sort of disaster. Um, but essentially, I've heard, heard or been told it was supposed to be a Tuesday-Wednesday series. So the, Braves, the Braves would have been off Monday and then Thursday, which is more normal. Um, but the Braves wanted to play the Yankees at night because of their um, massive draw. Like when the Yankees come to town, it doesn't matter when the game is, but you would rather it be at night because their fans will come and they will probably come close to selling out. Despite you know when school's back in, they don't sell out a lot of, week, a lot of games during the week or come close um, because of you know it's school, it's what it is. The Yankees come to town and you're going to sell a lot of extra tickets. So it yeah. seems that they wanted to have that happen, but the Yankees didn't want to fly because they have to go to Oakland after that game. So they didn't want to do that overnight. So the compromise was to play Monday and Tuesday instead and then have this weird two-day off schedule. And it was, proved, it was approved by all sides, and there you go. So uh, it's going to be strange to watch, but they have two days off. Um, I guess I'll ask you, to, before we get out of here, the pitching situation. So the Braves, because of the nature of the two days off, and the fact they had, they had a day off last week as well, they can kind of get creative and maybe push a little bit here if they want to. Um, you know, right now it's Enoa, Morton, Freed, Smiley, and then Tukey on what I'm looking at. They could skip guys this week if they wanted to. Uh, one or two. They, they could probably skip Drew Smiley. They could skip Tukey. They could skip both those guys if they wanted to. That's the nature of two days off. Um, I don't know what they'll do. I don't think Snicker talked about this after the game tonight. But do you have a preference? Do you care what they do here? Because we know it's going to be Enoa on Monday and Morton on Tuesday. And then from there, I don't really know. I, I guess I guess Freed on Friday. But Saturday and Sunday could be uh, interchangeable. Well, and it sounds like at some point, Ian Anderson will return. I that's, the other, yeah, that's, the other, that's the other guy, of course. Yes. Tuesday night, I think, is when he is scheduled for hopefully his final rehab start. Ian's been fine in the minors. His command has gotten away from him a little bit, but I'm sure he's just shaking off some rust. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if, if there is an opportunity to skip, especially against the Giants or the Dodgers, two of the best lineups in baseball, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Tukey Toussaint fan, but if you have an opportunity to pass him up to get Charlie Morton or Max Fried an extra start against one of those teams, it, it's probably not a bad idea. Um, but it, it is a, we aren't privy to knowing how these guys are feeling. Could Charlie Morton use an extended break? Could Max Freed use an extended break? I, I don't, we don't know these things. Um, or no. would they rather just keep them in a groove and, and have them go well? So I, I think maybe we'll, we'll have a better sense of, of where things are on Tuesday night after the short series with the Yankees wraps up. But I, I think you have to work Anderson into your rotation somehow and, and see. I mean, they, they could go to a six-man rotation, which um, – you know, isn't crazy. It's been done. I don't know if you necessarily want to do that, but it's an option. You could move Tukey to the bullpen. You could move Enoa to the bullpen. Um, we'll see. Um, so I guess as of to answer your question, I don't have an immediate opinion on what they will or should do, but 
again, man, there's there's never a, a bad thing whenever you have some pitching depth, especially this time of year. Um, it can save your butt whenever things really get tough, and and we'll we'll see how they shake out over the month of September. Yeah, Snit has not liked to do six man rotations in the past. I know he's kind of talked about that um, not being his preference. I'm not sure if he'll do that or not. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy because. They don't have an obvious, obvious guy to pull. I think it would probably be, well, it would almost definitely be one of the three of Smiley, Tukey, or um, or Enoa when Anderson comes back. But, you know, Smiley, since like June 1st, has like a sub-4 ERA and is a guy who's a vet. And he's not been like great, but he's not been terrible either. Like he hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in a start since May 26th. So I know there's that... that ugly stuff early on, but he's been a totally, totally fine number four or five starter for three months now. And then Tukey's had the flashes and the ugly stuff too. And Enoa is unproven, but has looked great. So interesting decisions to be had. I think we, I think we all know if they're healthy, it's going to be Morton, Freed, Anderson um, in the rotation in some order. And then you got to fill those around them with two, with two more guys. But I'll be surprised if they use six more than like one time through. Maybe you punt it down the road once when Ian comes back and just make it work for a week or two. But I, I think by you know mid September, Snit's going to want to have five guys that he's going to be in a rotation, and we'll see. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that, that's probably right. I mean, the other option too is if it's to the point where it seems highly likely that they're going to win the division and make the playoffs. You know, maybe you do shift Enoa or Tukey into a bullpen role and and give them a little bit of a trial run. See, you know, give them two innings and see how they do. Um, I know they've bounced around, of course, back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen, especially Enoa um, in their young careers. But, hey, that's that's kind of the benefit. If it looks like the season is going to go the way you want it to go, you have that flexibility of trying things out a little bit. Um, So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no obvious guy here which is i guess a good thing um i still don't trust drew smiley a ton um i, I just worry about the home runs and and all that and his underlying metrics are nothing blasphemy blasphemy scott but you even to trust then, drew. you know he's he's been perfectly fine <laughs> over the last few months and, I, I, i'm kidding uh, i don't trust him either oh, no, I, know. I, I know it's a bit we've been doing for three months now uh yeah i don't trust him either all that much i just like to point out that he's been fine because he has uh, yep. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think anybody's going to be excited about Drew Smiley game four start in the playoff series. Um, just pointing that out. I don't think I don't think anybody will be thrilled about that. But no, and, and hopefully it doesn't come to that. I mean, honestly, I think there's there's ways to work around it. And we, of course, could talk about that for ever. And hopefully we we'll do save have that a for a month from now. Hopefully, yeah. right? Yeah. Hopefully, as we do our our postseason preview. But um, you know, again, it is such a better situation to be in than what the Mets are doing right now, where it's like. All right, who's going to pitch on Tuesday? And who's going to pitch on Thursday? Scott, uh, did you know this is – man, I meant to say this earlier. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm right. Yeah, I'm doing the math here quickly. Yes, the, the New York Mets are 28th in the majors in runs scored. Oh, yeah, their lineup is – which like, is hard to believe because they were so good the last couple of years. I mean, they are – 28th in the majors in runs scored. They're only ahead of like very bad baseball teams. I'm trying to get the, the numbers back in front of me again. Um, I believe, yeah, one of them that they're ahead of is the Orioles. The other one is the Rangers. So, no, sorry, they're behind. They're behind the Orioles. 
they've scored wow. more runs. They've scored more runs than the Rangers and the Pirates. That's uh, you know, it's a good point. I think I was listening to the Baseball Today podcast with Buster Olney and uh, Jeff Passan, my best friend, and your guy, your guy, Jeff I, think, uh, I think Buster said, and Buster's been covering baseball forever. He thought he said that the biggest disappointment and maybe biggest surprise in the league this year was how bad the Mets have been offensively. I mean, that's got to be true. I mean, especially when you when you remember this. I mean, we remember this because we covered it at the very beginning of the year. But they were picked by a lot of people to win the division, yep. and it wasn't just on their pitching staff. Like they were supposed to get a lot out of this offense, and you go down the list. I pulled it up right right, right in front of me right now. I think the only guy on the entire team that's had a good season offensively is Pete Alonso. Like literally mm-hmm. the only guy. I'm looking at yeah. guys who are supposed. To, I mean, Lindor has famously not been not been good this year. Um, and guys that have been solid, like, you know, your Jeff McNeils and your Confortos and, you know, Brandon Nimmo and Jonathan Villar and Dominic Smith, these guys are, like, not fantastic. But I swear to you, they have literally have had one guy that's had a good season this year. J.D. Yeah. Davis is number two, and he's only had 51 games played. So, yeah. No, the, wow. they just I, – I don't know what it is with the Mets. And, hey, we, we – They're take, the Mets. We find enjoyment in their sorrows, right? Like, I, I would be going a little crazy right now if I was a Mets fan, but – like uh, you look at that lineup and it's like, how are they so bad? Like I, I'm a big fan of Michael Conforto. If the Braves outfield was not as crowded as it currently looks, I would be all over Michael Conforto and free agency this year. Um, you mentioned Pete Alonso's having a good year, but That's Lindor, it. <laughs> Lindor was nothing special. I mean, he, there were some red flags with him when the contract stuff was happening. I think he's already, I think he's past his peak, which is crazy for a guy on a 13 year deal. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, Jeff McNeil, solid baseball player, Brandon Nimmo, solid baseball player, uh, Dom Smith, solid baseball player. And then you you throw them all together and they're, they're terrible. And then you lose and Syndergaard's still not back. And and again, we could, we could laugh at the Mets for hours here, but, uh, they are a hard team to, to figure out for sure. Last Mets stat, I promise, but they're top eight hitters in Played appearances this season. Top eight guy, which is, you know, basically a starting eight. This is not exactly a starting eight every day, but they're top eight guys. One of them has an OPS over 734. Oh, wow. Jonathan Villar is number two of those top eight in OPS at 734. The only guy above that is Pete Alonso. Holy so, moly. It, that, wow. that's, that's as bad as you can possibly be, basically, offensively. If, for a team that's trying to win. Obviously, the Pirates and the Rangers are not really trying to win. Like they're kind of in the middle of sure. oh, building. Yeah. Like the Mets are, the Mets tried. They spent a lot of money. They're supposed to be winning this year, and this is their offense. It's uh, yeah. kind of remarkable. They actually. just traded away their first round pick last summer for two months of Javi Baez. Like that's how in the Mets are right now. Oh yeah, I forgot about Javi Baez, who's not on this list because he has just got there. But even then, he has a six seventy two OPS as he joined the Mets. Yep. So and he's been hurt. I mean, I think he was just activated today. Um, yeah, just a weird. I don't know what's going to happen with them, and, the and even the Phillies to an extent too. They just they bring back the same team every year, and lo and behold, they're looking like they, a team they, that's going to win. They do the same thing again. 80, so, 85 wins. Yeah, and hey, it's that's better than the alternate, right? But uh, I'm gonna yeah. okay. I'm gonna do this now just for the sake of covering our bases, Scott. This race is not over. An eighty-six percent chance to make the playoffs is not a hundred percent chance. Uh, Again, I remind you that two months ago, the Braves had essentially the inverse chance of making the playoffs. So 
A lot can happen. This is not over. We, we just made fun of the Mets and Phillies because we enjoy that. But this is not like they're up 15 games This is and the race is over. It's not. Um, being up five is a good position, which we've kind of said over and over again on this podcast. But um, you still got to go win some games. So if they somehow go go out and go one and seven in the next eight, uh, danger sign again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm not trying to say it's going to happen. But considering who their opponents are in the next eight games, that is not a, a, an impossible outcome. So. Just putting that out. It goes, yeah, it goes back to what you know Bobby Cox said for years about you need to win the series against the bad teams and you split against the good teams. And if they can go four and four, oh, over four, the series, four and four, like plant plant your flag in the middle of Truist Park center field if they go four and four in the next eight games. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do is go four and four. Now, obviously, we want them to go six and two or eight and zero or whatever they want to do, but. I can assure you, as much as I joked about this on, on Twitter today, about how the Braves may not lose ever again, um, they're going to lose a game the next eight games, I'm pretty confident. so. <laughs> and if they don't, we will do If the they don't, then it's over. Uh, if they, if they, if they win the next five, eight, yeah. I, will, I will come on the show <laughs> and say they've won the division, even though they haven't yet. I will actually like throw out my, uh, all my fear and be like, all right, they swept through uh, the Yankees, uh, Giants, and Dodgers. This thing's over. Yeah, um, seventeen game win streak. I yeah. look forward to that podcast. Seventeen yeah. game win streak, and they'd probably be up like I don't know, ten in the division at that point, something like that. So anyway, uh, Scott, anything else you want to add on this hour long uh, extravaganza? It's been fun. I mean, I know we keep getting these tweets at us about how we have to be positive now, and it probably hurts our souls. We like being positive when it's warranted. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I know we're not, I know we're not the most like bubbly guys in the world usually, but. Listen, we're not going to come on here and kill the Braves when they won nine, when they won, they won nine games in a row. Like we're going to have fun no. with this. The no, rolling. the last the last few weeks have been a lot of fun. Ever since the trade deadline, even though the the results were not immediate right after the deadline, right? Like it took a few games for them to go on this streak. Um, it, it's an entirely different team, and credit to Anthopolis. I think it was very normal to think that when they lost Ronald Acuna the day before the All Star break, that you know maybe this just wasn't going to be the year. There's so many things working against them, and, and to Anthopolis and the front office's credit, um, he went out. He he added some real impact guys without giving up anything for them, and, and here they are against all odds. I would have never thought we would have been saying this two months ago, but a five-game lead in the division, it is not over by any means. There's still six weeks of baseball to be played, um, but it, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and and hopefully they're able to kind of weather the storm these next two weeks. And then, as you noted, then the schedule goes back to being Cupcake City. Um, you just want to maintain this lead and maybe try to extend it out a little bit as the calendar progresses. But it's it's been a lot of fun to do these here. It has been fun. Uh, I know Scott is not with me next Sunday. He is out of commission, so you'll probably hear from the great Eric Cole, who you'll also hear from in a couple of days. I want to take a second now to plug all of our all of our other podcasts. We're very busy on this feed. It's not just me or Scott or Eric, but you have this main show that started it all. Episode, we'll be on 302 right now. Uh, Road to Atlanta is awesome. That's where I learn about prospects for the most part. Um, there and also on the written content. But uh, Eric and Garrett and Garav and Matt and everybody else on the Road to Atlanta show, that's awesome. And then Daily Hammer, uh, five days a week basically with, with Sean Coleman, who is uh, holding it down for us. So if you're a first-time, first-time listener, thanks for joining us, but please subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And so, so it's Scott. I would. It really does help us out, as as Brad always says. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Tell an enemy, please. That's fine. I don't care. I mean, listen. I uh, I say this joking, but I'm also not. If you tell somebody about the podcast and they listen to it and they don't like us, that's that's fine. I mean, it, that probably happens, but at least at least give it a chance. If the if you have a Braves fan friend in your life that enjoys 
podcasts, uh, they could try us and maybe they'll think that we're too negative. And that's okay. People think that sometimes. <laughs> but if you if you also, if you enjoy the pod, leave a five-star review. Those also help because we have the negative reviews to, uh, I guess, balance us out because people hate me or Scott or Eric or Sean or whoever. And I, hope, <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, please leave uh, five-star feedback. It's free. It, it's a free, free podcast. podcast. Uh, download old, old, download old, old episodes too if you want to support the show that's the best way to do people always ask me that occasionally it's like alright how do I support the podcast it's like well download like every single episode on the feed that's the best way to do it even if you just delete them delete them after that that does help I assure it you it helps so yeah alright we're out of here Scott thank you for joining me as always my friend please follow Scott as Hawk, Scott, Scott Coleman 55 on the Twitter Ooh. machine for all Arizona and Hawks content and Atlanta uh, Hawks, baby. <laughs> go Hawks. And follow me at BT Roland. Follow the show at Talking Chop, and we'll see you next time.